Hello, welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and you can find me at liveto110.com and at mineralpower.com. That's my healing and detox program. Today we have Isabella Wentz on the program. I met her recently at the Bulletproof Biohacking Conference. I was so pleased to finally meet her in person as we were doing this interview today. So it was nice to meet her ahead of time. And we're going to be talking about the thyroid, healing the thyroid naturally, and specifically Hashimoto's autoimmune disease. Um, This is a huge, huge problem. Uh, Autoimmune diseases are one of the fastest growing subset of diseases in the world. And the majority of people that have thyroid dysfunction or low thyroid function, also called hypothyroidism, actually have autoimmune Hashimoto's. So we're going to be talking about how to reverse this naturally and even perhaps getting off your medication. That is an option for some. Please keep in mind that this podcast is solely informational in nature and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before following any advice that we suggest today on the show. I'm so excited. My supplement liver rehab, uh, which is the brand bio rehab is on Amazon. It's doing really, really well. We've had lots of amazing reviews of people that are really being helped with the supplement. And I'm so pleased because uh, I've been taking it for since it came out two months ago and I've been feeling really, really good. I can really tell it's assisting my liver function and I'm, I felt like a little bit of boost of energy taking it. And I've had the same reports from a lot of my clients and a lot of the people reviewing on Amazon uh, reviewing liver rehab that they are feeling a lot better um, because it's people don't realize how overtaxed our livers are. Our livers are so overburdened with toxins. The CDC has established we have over 500 chemicals in our body, not to mention dozens of heavy metals. Uh, the question is not do, are you toxic or not? It's how many toxins do you have in your body? Everyone has toxins, and our livers have to bear that burden. So I think it's just a really good idea to support your liver with nutrients that facilitate its function so that you can feel better. When your liver is working better, you feel better as well. So definitely go check out my supplement Liver Rehab by BioRehab on Amazon.com. Our guest today is Dr. Isabella Wentz. She is a pharmacist. She's a pharma D. And she's very passionate, innovative, and solution-focused about Hashimoto's disease. And she's had a passion for healthcare since she was a little girl, um, helping her mother out in her medical clinic. Um, her mother is a physician, and she was a physician in Poland for many years. And Isabella pursued a degree in pharmacy with a dream of one day finding a cure for a disease. Uh, she got her pharma degree, her doctorate of pharmacy, from the Midwestern University of Chicago College at the age of 23. After graduation, she worked as a community pharmacist, a clinical consulting pharmacist, and later a medical safety pharmacist. After being diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis in 2009, Dr. Wentz was surprised the lack of knowledge about lifestyle interventions for Hashimoto's hypothyroidism and autoimmune conditions in general. So she decided to take on lifestyle interventions as a personal mission as an effort to help herself and others with Hashimoto's. Isabella, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, Wendy. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here with you. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit uh, about yourself and your journey and your experience with your own diagnosis with Hashimoto's? 
you know, so in full disclosure, I'm trained as a pharmacist and I was never interested in the thyroid gland during pharmacy school or even after pharmacy school. I really had to become um, Hashimoto's or thyroid expert after being diagnosed myself in 2009. Um, as many of us are, you know, with our own health journeys, we really have to become the expert of our own health conditions. And so I had been struggling with um, anxiety. I had really bad fatigue. So I was sleeping for 12 to 13 hours each night. Um, I was sleeping under two blankets in Southern California. <laughs> Um, in the middle of the summer, I was the woman that was wearing, you know, like a sweater and a scarf at my office where all the other women were wearing short sleeves and short skirts, maybe not that short, but, um, <laughs> nonetheless, um, and I just was having all these weird symptoms and they started during my freshman year in undergrad and, um, the fatigue started then. And it was like almost every other year I'd come up with a new symptom. So then like two years later, I started getting irritable bowel syndrome. Two years after that, I started getting um, anxiety. Then I started getting acid reflux. Then it was hair loss. Then it was carpal tunnel in both of my arms. And I just felt like I was falling apart and I was in my mid-20s. So I would go to different doctors and I'd try to get um, an assessment and a physical exam. And I heard a lot of really funny things like, you know, you're just getting older or um, everybody's tired or wow, you get to sleep for 12 hours. Lucky you. I wish, I wish I got to sleep for 12 hours. You know, maybe when you have kids, you won't be, um, so lazy or self-centered. So, um, I really didn't get a lot of sympathy and I didn't get a lot of help from doctors or, you know, family members. People were just kind of like, eh, you know, the, the biggest help offer of help I got was to put me on antidepressants or on anti-anxiety medications, which I was like, well, you know, I'm not really depressed. I feel happy. I'm just really tired all the time. And every now and then I have these weird panic attacks. Like my husband would go out running and um, he'd say, okay, I'll be back in 30 minutes and 35 minutes would pass. And I'd be like, he ran off with another woman yeah. or, you know, or maybe he got hit by a car. I mean, um, and I would just get really, really anxious and there were times where I'd grab my dog and start driving around in my car looking for him mm-hmm. because I was so worried about him going running. And so I knew I wasn't being reasonable, but I just really couldn't control the anxiety. And so finally in 2009, I ended up finding a doctor that was willing to do some more comprehensive testing with me. And that at that point, I learned that I had Hashimoto's and mm-hmm. it made a lot of sense. I was like, this is finally an answer. Um, and I thought getting on medications would be very, very helpful since my thyroid was underactive. But then, of course, I realized that it was an autoimmune condition, which happened to attack my thyroid gland. And I was like, well, doctor, what are we going to do about this autoimmune attack? And the answer was, well, we really can't do anything. We just kind of have to sit around and wait for it to burn itself out. So I wanted to figure out if there was anything I can do to slow down the attack to, um, you know, if there was anything I caused to induce the condition and if there was any way I could reverse the condition. And that's kind of how I got into this journey of being um, a guinea pig slash expert in Hashimoto's. Yeah. Yeah. I completely relate to uh, what you were saying when you said you were having anxiety and emotional symptoms. Cause when I had, ha- when I had hypothyroidism, I didn't have Hashimoto's, but when I had low thyroid functioning, I had the same thing. I had um, like anger and anxiety and I didn't feel like myself emotionally at all. And that's what happens when you you have low thyroid functioning or Hashimoto's. You have these kind of not real severe, but you know, uh, but uh, you know, irritating and uncomfortable physical symptoms, and you have the emotional symptoms as well. And I knew intuitively that something was wrong, um, which you know caused me to eventually seek help. But I, I totally identify with those emotional symptoms that you 
just uh, you just know that it's, it, that's not you. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I've actually seen some people who were misdiagnosed with depression, with panic attacks, put on antidepressant medications. Some people were misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder, and I've I've even seen some people hospitalized with like psychotic disorders mm-hmm. because of a thyroid imbalance. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I wanted to talk about Hashimoto's because it's, you know, the most common cause of thyroid dysfunction. Um, can you tell us exactly what it is just for anyone who's not familiar with Hashimoto's? Yeah, absolutely. So Hashimoto sounds like a really rare exotic condition, but it's actually pretty common. So depending on the studies we look at, anywhere from 5% to 24% of people may actually have the markers of Hashimoto's. And basically what's happening in Hashimoto's is immune cells. So cells from our immune system start getting into the thyroid gland and they start slowly destroying the thyroid gland and causing inflammation. So it's known as an autoimmune condition. So basically when our own immune system begins to recognize a part of our body as a foreign invader. And so this is a condition that's been um, recognized for about a hundred years now. And it's um, the leading cause of hypothyroidism or an underactive thyroid in um, in the United States and pretty much in countries of you know that add iodine to the salt supply. So Western countries like most of Europe, Australia, um, you know, United Kingdom, countries that um, are you know more of the developing countries that do not yet add iodine to the salt supply. We're going to see higher levels of iodine deficiency, which can also result in an underactive thyroid. However, in Hashimoto's, it's actually in most cases people do not have an iodine deficiency. It's an autoimmune process that attacks the thyroid gland. So that's important to know if you are somebody who's suffering from an underactive thyroid to see whether it's Hashimoto's or not. Because if it's Hashimoto's, there's one way to treat it. And if it's um, iodine deficiency hypothyroid, there's a completely different way to treat that. And, you know, the treatments that you do for one can actually make the other worse. Yeah, yeah. Very important because a lot of doctors, when, uh, you know, patients are going to their physician, the doctor will check the T3 and the T4, but they don't do a complete thyroid panel and check the antibodies to double check to make sure it's not autoimmune. So you have to be very vigilant as a a patient uh, to get, you know, ask and demand for a complete thyroid panel that includes antibodies. You know, absolutely. So the thyroid antibodies are going to be um, basically markers that let you know that your immune system has started to recognize the thyroid as a foreign invader. And there's two types of antibodies. There are thyroid peroxidase antibodies, and that's TPO, and then thyroglobulin antibodies, TG antibodies, that are going to be the most common in Hashimoto's. And um, these antibodies can sometimes be elevated for maybe a decade, sometimes even longer before you cheat before you see a change in thyroid hormone function. So they're going to be one of the earliest markers to know that you have Hashimoto's or some sort of dysfunction. Now, um, back in the day, people thought that all of the, that Hashimoto's was only a problem once it turned into hypothyroidism, that it was the lack of thyroid hormone that resulted in all the symptoms. However, now we're learning that actually Hashimoto's, euthyroid Hashimoto's, which basically means when your thyroid function is still normal, can still be responsible for a lot of symptoms. And a lot of them are going to be symptoms um, like the anxiety, like the mood issues, um, trouble with fatigue, trouble with putting on excess weight. And so those are going to be some of the biggest things that um, that women will complain about when they have this condition. And again, if you just do the TSH or the free T3, free T4, you may not pick up that you have this, this underlying, you know, basically attack that's happening within your own body. Um, the other thing to consider is 
Some people maybe may have seronegative Hashimoto's, which means that they don't test positive for the antibodies. But sure enough, that attack is still happening in the thyroid gland. So another thing you also want to ask for at least once is getting a thyroid ultrasound to see, you know, what is that, what exactly is happening inside of the thyroid gland? Yeah, that's a very good point. That was going to be my next question is that um, when you, uh, just because you test negative for the antibodies or that they're normal, doesn't necessarily rule out Hashimoto's because that, that they don't always, uh, you know, show on a test. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about some of the underlying root causes of Hashimoto's. You know, so um, some of the root causes, if I can like categorize them into six different buckets, I would say they're going to be nutrient depletions, they're going to be food sensitivities, they're going to be um, chronic infections, um, impaired ability to tolerate stress, um, impaired ability to get rid of toxins, and then some sort of gut issue. So um, something that leads to your gut being leaky. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, so, you know, there's a few doctors that believe that you have to have leaky gut in order to have an autoimmune disease like Hashimoto's. What's your take on that? So looking at the research, the latest research in autoimmune theories, um, there is something known as the three-legged stool of autoimmunity. And basically that theory states that um, you have to have the right genetic predisposition. You have to have some sort of a trigger And then you also need to have um, intestinal permeability or the leaky gut in order to develop an autoimmune condition. So um, for me, this is actually pretty easy to believe because I had irritable bowel syndrome and I had acid reflux and, you know, every symptom in the book of having intestinal permeability. So that was a pretty easy thing for me to, um, to believe. And then once I addressed all of these things, then um, I started actually getting into remission and getting better. So once I addressed my, my, once my gut, stabilized, then my autoimmune condition stabilized as well. So it's pretty easy for me to believe that, but um, there's other places that can be leaky in the body as well. So um, for example, some people might have dental infections or sinus infections that are actually contributing to the autoimmunity. And so it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's kind of, I think for the majority of people, they will have the leaky guts. I would say if I'm working with a person with Hashimoto's, I'm already making the assumption that they have a leaky gut, even if they're not symptomatic. And then we're doing everything to try to get their gut health in order. Yeah. And I have, you know, I work with a lot of clients and I I find that most people have a number of chronic infections in their body. They're low grade or uh, they're not symptomatic. They can have gut infections, gut dysbiosis, parasites, candida, all kinds of different infections in the body that suppress your immune system or they make it overactive. And, um, you know, when you have that three-legged stool in place and you have these chronic infections, um, it, it can be very problematic in promoting Hashimoto's. Yeah, absolutely. So the autoimmune theories, there's um, the theory of molecular mimicry, which basically means that if you have some sort of an infection, it might have proteins on it that look like the proteins on your thyroid gland. So um, when uh, when immune system is confused, basically, it'll attack both the infection and both the thyroid gland. And so I like to think of basically an immune system walking around, taking snapshots with its iPhone of the bacteria and saying, hey, this is what we need to attack. But they only take a picture, you know, of the left leg of the bacteria and, <laughs> and you know, and somehow that looks like the thyroid gland. And so that's one way that infections can actually, um, go, like, trigger Hashimoto's. Another way is if the infections are physically in the gut, so they're going to cause an intestinal permeability or that leaky gut. So this goes for parasites, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth dysbiosis, yeast, things like that. 
And then the third way that infections can trigger Hashimoto's is they can actually infect the thyroid gland. So we'll see that with viral infections like the Epstein-Barr virus, which has been found in a big percentage of people with Hashimoto's. And, and then what's, um, what's happening there, it's called the bystander effect, where basically the immune system tries to kill off the infection and attacks its home. And unfortunately, the home happens to be the thyroid gland. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I always recommend my client base, they use an infrared sauna, because that's very, very effective at killing off any kind of infection you have in your body. It's, it's amazing, and you don't have to take antibiotics, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it's something that um, we used to, fevers are basically a way of our bodies to help clear out infections. And so nowadays, you know, you would, if you, the minute that you start getting a fever, then there's a chance you were given an NSAID medication, not allowing your body or, you know, like an aspirin or Tylenol or ibuprofen, not allowing your body to really fight off the infection. Because that's one of our body's protective mechanisms. So when you step into an infrared sauna, this is going to elevate your core temperature and that's going to help you get rid of the infection. Um, another kind of thing that happens when people become hypothyroid is they actually, um, you know, their body temperature is going to be lower. So then they're going to be at risk for like collecting more infections. And they're also going to be at risk for collecting more toxins because as they get these toxins into their bodies, you know, one of the primary ways of getting rid of toxins is through sweating. So when you have a low body temperature and when you ha- you're, you know, you're not going to be properly fighting infections and you're not going to be getting rid of your toxins. And that's kind of, you know, the self-perpetuating cycle of Hashimoto. So we really need to do things that are outside of the norm to kind of break that cycle apart. And I love the infrared sauna because you can, um, it feels really, really great to be in it. And then it's a great way to get rid of toxins as well as help um, your body overcome infections. And it gives you flawless skin. <laughs> Very soft <laughs> skin, too. <laughs> you can't yeah. argue with that, right? Yeah. yeah. I well, feel like, and I don't know if this has been scientifically tested, but I always feel like my hair just grows nicer whenever I'm um, you know, exposed to either if I'm on a beach somewhere or somewhere warm or in a sauna. I just feel like it really helps my hair grow. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm starting to get the flu. My business partner has the the flu, and so I'm been exposed to it. So I feel like I'm kind of starting to fight it. And I've just been getting in the infrared sauna twice a day to try to kill off the virus and prevent the viral replication. So um, that's why I was advocate. I love the sauna space saunas, uh, beautiful near infrared saunas because uh, they're the kind that I use. And I think it's so important for and anyone, not just people with Hashimoto's and other kinds of autoimmune issues. But anyone uh, can benefit from an infrared sauna use. Yeah, I agree. and it's so nice to be inside of one too. It's 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 um, fun as opposed to taking something like antibiotics, which will you know sometimes put you out on the couch or give you a lot of side effects. So the infrared sauna is actually very pleasurable to to do. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love getting in mine, um, and I love doing social media in it too. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so let's talk about food sensitivities. And in Hashimoto's. So um, can you kind of detail the diet you advise for healing Hashimoto's? Like, should everyone with Hashimoto's avoid gluten and dairy? In my opinion, yes. So I know not a lot of people like to hear that, and it doesn't make me very popular at dinner parties. But uh, generally, gluten-free and dairy-free, as well as soy-free, is what I recommend as a starting point for people with Hashimoto's. I have seen some people get into remission just by following that. So within three months they'll start a gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free diet, and then they'll get their Hashimoto's into remission. So sometimes the antibodies will go away, the symptoms will go away. And I have seen some people who are able to, you know, normalize their thyroid function and are able to 
either reduce their dosage of medication or even get off of medication. So these are people who um, clearly food food sensitivity was a trigger for. And once you get the food sensitivities out of the body, then everything else kind of rebalances itself out. Um, that would be a starting point. If somebody's been doing that for three months, however, I would start looking at um, getting onto more advanced diets. So the paleo diet has been one of the most helpful diets for people with Hashimoto's. And then the auto, and then the next level beyond that is the autoimmune paleo diet. So the autoimmune paleo diet is going to be kind of a stricter version of paleo. So paleo will exclude grains, um, you know, obviously gluten, dairy, soy, and then all kinds of grains. With the autoimmune paleo, you're going to be excluding, um, in addition to that, um, nightshades, which are things like tomatoes, potatoes, eggplants. You're going to be excluding eggs. You're going to be excluding nuts as well as seeds. And this is going to be something that's not really meant to be lifelong. You want to do that for maybe 30 to 60 days and then start introducing different foods. So um, the thing about food sensitivities, there's going to be primary ones and secondary ones. So the primary ones are going to be like the gluten, dairy, and soy. But um, and, and those are things that people may need to stay off of long term. But the other foods, usually people can start reintroducing them back into the diet once they've had enough gut healing. But when you have this really, really leaky gut, is basically any kind of um, food protein is going to be recognized as a foreign invader. So, so that's why in the autoimmune paleo diet, you want to exclude some of the more irritating foods. And then um, capsaicin peppers. So not like the not the pepper you would you know put on as a spice, but um, you know bell peppers and hot spicy peppers are also going to be something that can contribute to leaky gut. So that's something that. Um, you know, I, I recommend for people when they're on the paleo diet to, to look into not doing the, the peppers because they can be contributory. But yeah, we've seen um, a lot of improvement in pe- with people on those diets. And sometimes it's, it's you know, unbelievable to me how, how much those diets help because people will, will have like three or four autoimmune conditions and they'll say like all of my symptoms are gone. And I'm like, really? Like, wow. So it, it's always really nice to hear what um, these diets will do for people. But uh, in general, generally, 88% of my readers said that the gluten-free diet has helped them tremendously. About 80% will say the same thing about the dairy-free diet as well as the paleo diet. And then somewhere between 75 to 78% will report that autoimmune paleo diet helped them as well. And then anywhere from 20 to 40% of people will see a, a significant reduction in thyroid antibodies on those diets. Mm-hmm. And can you explain the concept of molecular mimicry when it comes to consumption of gluten and dairy and why it's in soy and why it's so important to exclude those gluten proteins and dairy proteins from your diet when you have Hashimoto's? Yeah, so definitely um, there's the most research behind this is going to be with gluten and basically the same thing with, um, with infectious proteins, proteins, uh, the gluten protein can be, it's not easily broken down by the body, first of all. So it's going to cause inflammation and leaky gut for everybody that eats it. And then there are some studies suggesting that it may cross-react with some um, aspects of the thyroid gland. So um, there was a study in people um, in Italy, out of all places, who were had celiac disease and Hashimoto's, and they were able to, um, once they were started on a gluten-free diet, they were able to reverse their Hashimoto's um, once they got rid of gluten from their diet. 
Um, but I found that it's not just people with celiac disease that feel much, much better. So we went with, um, you know, with our survey of about 2,200 people with Hashimoto's, um, 88% felt better on a gluten-free diet where only like three to 5%, um, 3.5% had celiac disease and the rates of celiac disease that have been described in Hashimoto's are somewhere, you know, between three and 10%. So, um, you know, of course it's not just celiac disease because we obviously know that gluten is an issue in celiac disease, but definitely Hashimoto's, um, there may be some components of the thyroid gland that cross react with gluten. That can be an issue for sure. Mm. Yeah. And so let's talk about my favorite subject, which is toxicity. And so how does, uh, you know, uh, toxicity of the thyroid and the body with heavy metals and chemicals affect its functioning and contribute to Hashimoto's? You know, so there's different toxins that can impact thyroid function either directly or indirectly. So one of them, for example, is fluoride in our water supply, right? So that can actually, that was actually, fluoride was used to use, was used as a thyroid suppressing medication for people with an overactive thyroid because it caused damage to thyroid cells. And so um, when we're drinking water from the tap or we're having toothpaste or we're having a lot of tea with fluoride in it, that's going to cause some damage to the thyroid gland. And this initial damage can actually signal the immune response to come into the thyroid gland. And initially the immune cells have good intentions so they want to fix the thyroid gland, but, you know, maybe in the presence of having additional triggers or having the intestinal permeability where the immune system doesn't mature properly, somehow this turns into an attack. So it's like, you know, having, buying a guard dog and then later the, the guard, the guard dog starts attacking you. Mm-hmm. And so, um, this is something that is, was one of the bigger things that's been associated with Hashimoto's, but also mercury, um, any, any kind of hal- halogens, um, are going to be have the potential to take up residence inside of the thyroid gland. So um, bromine, um, this is going to be something that is going to be found in our mattresses as a flame retardant, and that can definitely take up residence in the thyroid. Um, radiation, so exposure to radiation, exposure to... Um, I was personally exposed to Chernobyl, the nuclear disaster. I was um, about six hours away from that when, when it happened. I was um, three and a half years old. So these are things that are going to be potentially causing damage to the thyroid gland directly. And then there's other kinds of um, chemicals in our, in our environment that may be potentially changing how our estrogen functions and just changing and shifting the immune system. Um, so endocrine disrupting chemicals like BPAs that are found in our plastics, these can contribute to thyroid abnormalities. Um, um, the triclosan that's found in our antibacterial soaps that's had some research in, in causing an increased rate of thyroid antibodies. And then, you know, mercury is one of those toxins that can um, actually reside inside of the thyroid gland. So they found mercury levels in um, thyroid gland on autopsy. And we know that just causes all kinds of inflammation throughout the body and can cause an immune retap autoimmune um, attack on the on the affected organ if it's stored inside of it so that's kind of a general overview there's a lot of different toxins that can affect um, our thyroid function and you know whenever we have toxins in our bodies our liver is going to become compromised and then we don't um you know that makes it harder for us to tolerate foods that makes it harder for us to convert thyroid hormones and so it's kind of this um you know, it, it, the body is this big system of, of talks, of checks and balances, and we're constantly in communication. It's constantly communication. In communicating with, 
<laughs> okay, let's start that again. So, um, we're, we're in a constant state of communication. communication. Uh, our cells are in a constant state of communication. So, um, there's a variety of different pathways where toxins can come into play and really disrupt thyroid function. Yeah, and I, I think it's very important also to mention that when you have Hashimoto's or any kind of thyroid dysfunction, you have to think of it systemically and treat the whole body, not just focusing on treating the thyroid or using medications or or what have you, or taking targeted supplements. You have to detox your entire body um, in order to uh, you know move forward towards you know reversing the the issue. Um, and also, I think it's very important to mention that fluoride is found in a lot of antidepressants. Uh, Paxil is made with fluoride, um, so people get a lot of toxicity that way. And through the, taking a shower, even if you're not drinking tap water, if you don't have a filter on your shower, you're absorbing that through your skin. Uh, bromine is used as a, as a dose softener and uh, to treat pools and jacuzzis. And chlorine is also in that same family of halogens, uh, chlorine and fluoride and um um, the uh, the bromine, those are all in the same family. So anytime you're swimming in a pool or that's also added to water, you can smell it sometimes when you're mm-hmm. taking a shower. Um, so it's uh, it's in, used in bleach. So all these kind of things can contribute and really compete with iodine for entry into your thyroid. So um, let's talk a little bit about iodine. Um, there's some, you know, some debate, some consensus about whether people should take iodine or kelp supplements when they have Hashimoto's. What is your ideas behind that? You know, you know it's, it's a, a very controversial, controversial topic because, because um, historically, if you had an underactive thyroid, that was because you weren't getting enough iodine in your diet. So iodine was the cure for an underactive thyroid back in the day. And And some people will say, okay, well, that's how it used to be, so why isn't it still this way? And so what's happened since um, the 50s is basically public health officials have noticed that rates where there wasn't enough iodine in our our food supply, people ended up with goiter or an underactive thyroid. So they decided to remedy that and add iodine to our salt supply. Unfortunately, what we've learned since that time is that iodine is a very narrow therapeutic index nutrient. Which, which basically, basically means that you need to have, have it's kind of like a Goldilocks nutrient. So you need to have just the right amount of it for proper thyroid function. And some people who are maybe not genetically predisposed to Hashimoto's, they may be able to tolerate very, very high levels of iodine without any problems. But in those with, with Hashimoto's, the science has found that, you know, somewhere under 500 micrograms is where they, um, anything above 500 micrograms is where it might start being problematic. So you actually see higher rates of Hashimoto's, higher rates of thyroid cell destruction, and higher rates um, of TSH. So we want to try to get that nutrient somewhere around under 250 micrograms and um, get enough of it. So obviously it's necessary for thyroid hormone production, but not too much. And it can get a little bit tricky, but we um, every now and then I'll have a client that comes to me who who basically followed a high-dose iodine protocol, either on their own or with a practice you know, maybe a practitioner or a coach that wasn't as familiar with Hashimoto's. And we'll see, they'll be like, you know, I'm pretty much bedridden. I was feeling okay. Um, I just was a little bit tired. And then I started getting more energy on the iodine, which would make sense because it creates more thyroid hormone and creates more cell turnover, but that also attracts more of the immune response, right? And so, um, and then eventually more thyroid cells are broken down. This gives you a boost of energy, but it's basically like, you know, somebody shaking the thyroid gland. And, and then, then making, making it, it making it, 
release, release more hormone, hormone in the long, the long run, run would also damaging it more. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'll, I'll have these clients and they'll say, okay, I'm, I'm bedridden, their TSH goes up to anywhere from 90 to 100, their thyroid antibodies skyrocket, you know, from maybe if they started off with 300, they'll go to like 1,000 in their antibodies. And then, and then their, their levels, levels of free hormones will also drop. drop. And, and so, so then at that point, what we'll have to do is really work with them to try to basically balance the inflammation. And we'll try to get them on, we'll obviously stop the high-dose iodine supplement. We'll try to get them on like a selenium supplement. We will um, get them on and fatty acids will get them on B vitamins, um, vitamin C, things like that, and acetylcysteine. And then look at removing inflammatory foods from their diet. So um, and that usually will do kind of the trick in calming down the autoimmune response. But in the short term, it can actually, if you take high doses of iodine, and this doesn't happen in everybody. So surveying my clients, about 30% felt better on high dose iodine, but 30% felt worse. And so... Um, you know, you know, looking, looking at, at that, that, like some, some people just get dramatically worse. So it's not something I recommend right away. It's something that I would want to make sure that they actually were iodine deficient if I were to recommend that. And I would, you know, there's a lot of other interventions that can um, basically bring remission and bring resolve all the symptoms that I would recommend first. I probably have like 30 recommendations that I would make before I would say like, well, let's look at your iodine because that's not really as relevant. So like, the gluten-free diet, 88% people felt better on it, and then, like, there was, and, like, there was one, one random person who said they felt worse on it, so out of, like, over 2,000 people. So, so I, I like to start with the more of the safer and more effective recommendations first. Yeah, not, yeah, not to, to say, say that nobody's ever been helped by high doses of iodine, it's just kind of, it's pretty risky, so I treat it like a drug, like I would do with giving somebody antibiotics or something like that. It's like you want to weigh your risk to benefits and see if there's other things you can do first before you go there, right? Yeah, and you get iodine in fish as well. Um, but the problem with eating fish is it has mercury. Unless it's the little right. fish, like the little right, right. gross ones people don't like to eat, like sardines Sardin. and fresh anchovies, mackerel. I don't know. I love them, but a lot of people don't. But even if even salmon has, uh, you know, significant levels of mercury in them, and I find people are kind of freely eating that and not really thinking about that, but it does contribute to mercury load. I see it in client after client after client because I do lots of heavy metals testing with all of my clients. And so the, the salmon can be problematic, especially tuna. Forget it. Uh, tuna is completely off the list uh, to get rid of, to lower your mercury levels. And I find the majority of my clients, probably 90% of them, maybe 85, have uh, mercury toxicity to some degree. So it's a, a big problem, not just with people with Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely something, something in Hashimoto's, Hashimoto's that we often see. And it's, like we said, like we talked about, the lack of sweating is also going to have you build up on your levels of um, you know, mercury and other kinds of toxins because you're not sweating them out properly. And, and then we have some people with uh, methylation issues, so they might have the MTHFR gene mutation. And I don't know, there was one study that suggested it was more common in people with Hashimoto's. I'm not quite sure if that's true or not, but I definitely... Whenever, Whenever I have somebody with Hashimoto's, I want to make sure that their methylation pathways are properly supported because if they're not methylating properly, they're not going to be able to get rid of toxins properly. And so that is often something that's, um, that is definitely going to be an issue with people. And, and sometimes, you know, removing gut inflammation will help them clear out toxins on their own and just getting rid of the foods. Other times, you know, we might do more aggressive measures. 
So, um, you know, you, know, you might do some, some supplements and other times, you know, some people might even have to do something like chelation yeah. to try yeah. to get rid of those things. But, yeah, um, I agree with that. I used to be kind of against chelation, oral chelation, but uh, the, some people, they, even if you completely support the body with supplements and infrared saunas and doing everything you can to facilitate detox, they can't do it because they have methylation issues and you have to go in and actually physically, you know, rip them out of their body with the oral chelation because <laughs> they're just not able to do it on their own. Um, so uh, can we talk about some of the things that people are doing today to suppress their thyroid functioning? Yeah, yeah so, so definitely, definitely, you know, drinking water, water from the tap, tap that, that would be one, one of the first things that I would recommend is getting um, a filter. So, so um, reverse osmosis is the best way to remove fluoride, fluoride from your water. Um, that's that's going to be one of the, the ways that, that people just... just you know, you're like, I'm drinking lots of water, I'm being healthy, but you're suppressing your thyroid. Um, eating gluten and, you know, one of my big things was eating whole grains when before I was diagnosed because I thought that was what you were supposed to do. I thought it was like low-fat dairy and whole grains were the way to go. Cheerios, eating Cheerios are heart healthy. <laughs> exactly, because I was doing all those things. And then, you know, potentially you can, those are the most common food sensitivities in people in general. And, and they can be um, potential autoimmune triggers. So getting off of those is going to be something that I recommend for people um, that want to have a healthy, functioning thyroid gland. Um, then we have people who are, you know, paleo or on a, are on a grain-free diet. And oftentimes what happens is they become depleted in selenium and the B vitamins. And now selenium and B vitamins are going to be very, very helpful for thyroid function and required for thyroid function. So oftentimes, you know, I'll see people who are on these awesome paleo diets and you'll want to probably supplement with like a selenium or a B vitamin at that point if you're, if you're not feeling well and you want to, you want to make sure that your thyroid is working properly. Um, and then, you know, just stress, just putting yourself in a stressful situation. So we didn't talk a lot about the adrenals, but the adrenals are basically going to be working in synergy with the thyroid gland. Anytime we have a lot of stress happening, our bodies are going to be producing something that's known as reverse T3. Reverse T3 is basically the opposite of active T3, which is our active thyroid hormone. And what it does is instead of you know making our hair grow pretty, giving us lots of energy, and having um, managing our metabolism, reverse T3 takes up thyroid receptors and just kind of sits there. So it, it just basically blocks the thyroid receptors from receiving any T3. So it's, it's kind of like if you think about, um, you know, a car, reverse T3 would be like the brake that's saying, stop it. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. And so just having a lot of stress in your life. So, um, you know, whether the stress is coming from an emotional standpoint, from um, others around you, from not getting enough sleep, from um, having inflammatory foods or inflammatory people, <laughs> blood sugar imbalances or infections or toxins in your body. Those are things that are be that are going to be contributing to um, depressed thyroid function. Yeah. And I found that clients that have a reverse T3 of 10 or above, it's definitely a sign they've got major toxicity in their body, uh, that needs to be addressed. I think everyone has to address that, but some more than others you know, with high reverse T3. And definitely whenever you see, I would totally agree with you that whenever we see elevated reverse T3, that would be a good indication of toxicity in the body. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have anything else that you wanted to contribute uh, that maybe we haven't talked about uh, regarding Hashimoto's? You know, you know, one of the things that I like, I like to do with my clients is I have everybody do an adrenal saliva test and then I have everybody do, an an adrenal adrenal saliva saliva and and have everybody do um, a gut test, a stool test. test. 
and, and they, they don't really like, like me when, when I send them, them the stool test, test, but they, they you know, with the often will find, find really interesting results on it. And I've, I've seen that people who don't get better on just the nutrition part, on the gluten-free, dairy-free, soy diet, they, they will often have um, one, one or more gut, gut infections. And, and treating those gut infections is going to be very, very helpful with um, reducing your reaction to foods. So you can actually start tolerating more foods and you can start feeling better. And I'll also see a big reduction in thyroid antibodies and things sort of start moving in the right direction once we can clear those gut infections. Yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about your book? Uh, you have your book called The the Root Cause, Hashimoto's The Root Cause. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's been a bestseller on Amazon. It's been very, very successful because it's a terrific book. Well, thank you so much. It's, um, I ended up basically when I was going through my health journey, I was, I was basically having a lot of brain fog. And I started to kind of keep this journal and I started to note down things and I was, I was always trying to research different things and I was spending a lot of time on PubMed and going to, um, functional medicine conferences and things like that to try to figure out, you know, what was going on with my own health. And then eventually I started to see some improvement with implementing some of the things that I was journaling and some of the things that I was researching and testing. And my mom said to me, okay, you need to start writing these things down and why don't you publish a book? We're going to get this information out so that your cousin, um, I have a cousin in Poland who um, was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, that we can help her too. And my mom offered to translate it into Polish and then that's kind of how um, the book writing started happening. It was just basically... Um, my, my own journal, journal to help myself get better. Get better. Eventually, Eventually, as I was writing the book, I ended up being able to get myself into remission from Hashimoto's and then released the book in June of 2013, just with the hope that it would help anybody else that kind of was suffering from some of the same things I was suffering from. And um, I, we've gotten over a thousand reviews on it now on Amazon, mostly five star. It became a New York Times bestseller, which you know was a big surprise for me because we definitely weren't, I definitely was not expecting that to happen or wasn't even trying for that. But um, what people have said about it is that it really helps to shorten their learning curve and it helps to streamline their journey with Hashimoto's because there's a lot of conflicting information out there, and then you don't really know who to trust and who to believe in. I, you know, I, you know, I just, just really wrote from the heart, heart and I really wrote about what helped me. I don't know that um, every single person that reads the book will have the same exact results that I have had with it. But just judging on everybody's feedback, you know, a lot of people have found that it's been very, very helpful for them. So we cover um, my dig at it approach, which looks at nutrient depletions, looks at digestion. So whether somebody has a lack of digestive enzymes, that can be that can contribute to a lot of the symptoms. We look at infections, inflammation, iodine status, the gut function, gluten, food sensitivities, adrenals, toxins, um, other types of triggers, and um, you know alkaline phosphatase. So this is something that helps us tolerate our gut bacteria. If we don't have enough of that, then we need to get more, um, you know, get more of that on board. Whether that's through zinc supplementation, adding certain foods, or getting getting rid of other types of foods or, you know, working out with supplements to alkalize the body. So, so it's a pretty comprehensive approach. Um, and hopefully people have found, I, I know that a lot of people have found it helpful in their journeys and more than I could ever wish for. Yeah, I know it's, it's fantastic. Congratulate your success. And it really kind of, uh, what you mentioned is that, you know, all the suggestions helped you, but not everyone has helped. But I think that, you know, the longer you have an autoimmune disease, 
the more permanent damage you have that may not allow you to have full remission, even if you can do everything possible. Um, because once that tissue is destroyed, you know, if you've had Hashimoto's for 20 years, you're going to have a, a lot of tissue damage. But, you know, of course, you still have to do everything you can and follow the suggestions in your book to, uh, you know, for to have the, the optimal outcome. Yeah, yeah you're, you know, you're, you're absolutely, absolutely right, Wendy. The longer you've had the condition, the more problematic it becomes. So Hashimoto's is, is pretty much described as a condition of five stages. In the first stage, you just have the genetic predisposition. So you're not going to have any changes in your thyroid function. You're not going to have any immune cells in your thyroid gland. So for all intents and purposes, you have a normal thyroid. And then as the stages progress, you start seeing some autoimmune damage. Um, you start seeing some of those cells in the thyroid gland. Then you start seeing changes in, um, you know, damage to the thyroid gland and changes in thyroid hormone levels. And eventually that can progress to the fifth stage, which is actually progression to other types of autoimmune conditions where a person might start off with Hashimoto's, but they may have lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, or they may progress to a different condition. And that's definitely something we want to prevent. So we can always try to go back in phases or stages or try to arrest the progression of the Hashimoto's. And um, basically what I tell people that I work with or people you know that are kind of new to Hashimoto's is that getting rid of your symptoms is possible for just about every person. So if you follow the root cause approach, if you get your medications optimized, you know, there's a really, really great chance that you're going to be living an amazing life. You're going to feel really, really great for, um, you know, 90% of the time. Then there's a subset of people who actually can get into remission by following the root cause approach. And though these people are going to see a reduction in, or, you know, basically elimination of thyroid antibodies. And then, um, there's also a subset of people that may actually be able to get off of thyroid medications. And so thyroid tissue, we know it can regenerate. So it does for some people. I used to think it was people who had the condition for a shorter amount of time and who were younger. So, you know, maybe those 19 year olds that were so resilient, but every now and then I'll get like a remission story of a, of a woman in her forties or fifties who's had the condition for 20 years. And she'll say, I, you know, uncovered my triggers. I got rid of that H. pylori infection and I got off of gluten and I added these nutrients. Lo and behold, um, I became hyperthyroid. My doctor took me off of my, my medication. I've never felt better. And, so, and I don't have any more antibodies. So, so it just really depends. Um, there's also some tissue healing protocols that um, I'm going to be writing about soon, but basically you can, um, and for us, of course, helps as well, but also doing cold laser therapy directly on your thyroid gland. So there were some Brazilian studies that found about half of the people who underwent this type of treatment, and it's like a specific laser, specific wavelength for a specific amount of time and 10 sessions, they ended up, um, half of them were able to get off of their thyroid medications and stay off of them for at least nine months was the was how long the people followed them so yeah so there's a lot of different options on there and you know i i'm kind of um i'm not somebody that likes to be attached to dogmas i'm sort of like okay what can we do to help a person whether that is some cool like biohacking stuff whether it's like completely traditional medicine or whether it's natural so i'm, I'm always just looking for things to share with people that can help them on their journeys whether that's um you know, 
whether they're, they're things that are prescription drugs or completely natural therapies or simple biohacking stuff like like we did a couple of weeks ago, right? Absolutely, at the Bulletproof Conference. Yeah, and I agree with you. Everyone's different and different strokes for different folks. People need different supplements, different foods, and some infrared sauna doesn't work for some people. Everyone's going to just find what works for them as an individual. And um, also, I was going to ask you, what do you think about using thyroid glandulars for thyroid regeneration? So um, I had some good results with Hytrophin PNG from a company called Standard Process. And, you know, like, I'm trained in pharmacology and the way that they explain the mechanism of action doesn't quite make sense to me, but I have seen it work. Where um, what, what they say is basically that the protomorphogen is kind of the cytosol of the, of the cell. So it basically gives the, it gives the organ kind of like a roadmap. Or it basically gives them basically um, the signal to start regenerating, and so that's what the company says is in that is in that extract. And of course, it's a proprietary product, so um, so I'm not sure that's been tested by outside sources. But at the same time, I've seen it to be very helpful for my clients in reducing their need for thyroid medication and normalizing their thyroid numbers, including their antibodies. So this is one supplement that I've found to be very helpful. And it's um, not a straight-up glandular, but it is, um, I would consider it in the glandular category. Um, and then, you know, as far as medication use, you know, generally I would recommend for people to have a combination T4, T3 medication. Some of them, those are going to be like the natural desiccated thyroid meds as well. I found those to be helpful. And, and you see a reduction in thyroid antibodies whenever you start on those medications or just any medications in general because... That medication basically suppresses the thyroid stress signal, which basically causes more immune cells to get into the thyroid. So those can be helpful because they basically give your own thyroid gland kind of like a rest, and then make it they make your thyroid gland less visible to the immune system. Yeah, that's a very good point that it can that you're saying that essentially that it can facilitate healing. Because it stops the thyroid from having to produce uh, thyroid hormones. And I, I'm totally all for intelligent allopathy. I took mm-hmm. thyroid medication for a little while and it was very helpful in uh, mitigating my symptoms and making me feel better. So I'm all for people taking thyroid medication. and uh, But I'm also all for healing the thyroid so that you can get off your medication. And not everybody can. I think a lot of people can, uh, but not everyone. Um, so again, I think it's a very individual thing. And I think it's a great goal to have. And definitely, you know, when I tell my clients is lifestyle changes, take some time. Medications work much faster. So don't martyr yourself. You know, if you need to be on medications, that's something that you need to be on. Don't look at it as a life sentence. In some cases, you may be able to reduce the dose or get off of the medication once you heal the underlying triggers that are causing your body to attack your immune system or are preventing your body from healing and regenerating. So so, yeah, so, yeah, I, I very much agree with that. that. You want to make sure that you're, you know, first and foremost, I want to make sure anybody that is suffering, that their suffering is eased first so that they're feeling better. That's going to be a first goal. The second goal is going to be to reduce the inflammation in the thyroid gland and reduce the autoimmune response. And then the third goal is maybe can we work on getting off of the medications. But, you know, it's kind of like. Every now and then I'll get somebody that will say, like, I've had Hashimoto's for 20 years. I have um, my antibodies are in the thousand range. I want to get off of medications now. But it's like, well, I guess, you know, that's not really the best idea to do at the time 
because you want to make sure we fix the underlying issues because you can make yourself worse if you do that too soon. Yeah, I and I, yeah, I think that's a very good point that in natural means, diet and lifestyle and supplements and detox, they take a long time. So they can, worth it. Yeah, they can take a year, two years, three years uh, and longer for, for some people to heal your thyroid. So, you know, uh, it's I don't think it's reasonable to expect you can get off your thyroid meds right away. And like you said, some people really truly benefit from reducing their symptoms so they their brain can work and they have energy, etc. In the meantime, while the natural uh, natural means uh, that we're using with diet and lifestyle, etc., can do their magic. And those take time. And you know, lifestyle, lifestyle, it's like, like these chronic, chronic conditions take a whole lifestyle, or whole, whole life. A lifetime of lifestyle to develop. So you can't expect them to change overnight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I have a question that I like to ask all of my guests. What do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? The most pressing health issue. Thyroid. You know, I actually would say that a lot of people have issues with Hashimoto's. It's such a really, really big condition, and it's under-recognized, um, anywhere up to 25% of people may be affected. People may be misdiagnosed with mental health issues. Um, they may be hospitalized. They may be heavily medicated with antipsychotic drugs or antidepressant drugs that basically suppress their chance for, you know, living life. And really, it, it you know, the having an underactive thyroid can lead to so many different things because thyroid hormones affect every single cell in our body. So then a person may be more likely to get heart disease. A person may be more likely to get, you know, to have issues with diabetes, with their energy. And you just, um, you know, you just have the thyroid gland. It's such a tiny little gland and it doesn't get a lot of appreciation, but it controls metabolism throughout the entire body. And so, although, you know, I can't say it's not something like, um, not, not something that, that will kill a person. It definitely suppresses their ability to live the life that they want because it, it, it drains their energy and drains, drains their motivation and life force. So I would say thyroid. Yeah, and I think it's a huge problem. I mean, the fact that two-thirds of people in the U.S. are overweight and it's a growing problem worldwide, it's it's due in a, you know, a significant part to reduce thyroid function and our diet and lifestyle and guzzling tap water you know, you know, drinking a lot of chlorine and fluoride and um, all these things that suppress thyroid function. Many people are living a lifestyle that absolutely suppress their thyroid function and they pay for it in the inability to lose weight and gaining weight very easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, and then just, just autoimmunity in general, in general because, because we really don't have a, a it, you know, you, you, you get diagnosed with an with a autoimmune condition by a conventional medical doctor, doctor and you end up going to see that doctor and they put you on immune suppressing drugs that can cause you to develop, to pick up infections that can potentially kill you. And so just not having a really good solution from the conventional medical world for any types of autoimmune conditions, I think this is a huge pressing issue. So I think it's up to people like us to really raise awareness about all of the different lifestyle things and you know, you know, some, some of the integrative, integrative things, things and, you know, biohacking things that can really help with autoimmunity because a lot of the things that we talked about that are relevant to Hashimoto's are also going to be relevant to rheumatoid arthritis, to lupus and other types of autoimmune conditions. Yeah, I was going to mention that. It sounds like all the suggestions in your book can be generalized to any kind of autoimmune disorder because it's the same kind of underlying root cause is the diet and lifestyle and calming down the immune system. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it just, you know, really, really depends on your genes as, as to which autoimmune condition you're going to get. Yeah. And I think it's just crazy that doctors prescribe these immune suppressing drugs. It's just insanity to me because it does not address the underlying root cause. It makes you susceptible to uh, all kinds of infections and there's lymphoma risk with it, et cetera. And uh, what is your take on that in uh, if pe- anyone who's uh, considering taking uh, these autoimmune suppressing drugs, I know what they are. I won't mention them. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I would say in the very advanced stages of autoimmunity when a person is suffering, I totally get that they would want to take those medications. And it's always a risk to benefit with every medication. But a lot of those meds have a lot of risks. So you're at more greater risk for infections. You're at greater risk for cancers. Um, but, you know, it, it is something that is worth discussing with your doctor and considering if you're going to be doing it. But, you know, please give these other things a try first. Um, or, 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 you know, if you are taking these medications, you don't want to stop them without talking to your doctor or without your doctor's order, but you can do all these lifestyle things along with the drugs or before you, or before you do the drugs. And there's actually a medication that, um, is a bit, is a lot safer. It's known as low dose naltrexone. It can be. Um, from a compounded pharmacist that can actually modulate the immune system and you're not going to be at risk for cancers or um, you know infections with this medication because it works in a much more gentle way but it can balance the immune system rather than suppress it so you know considering t- working with a functional medicine doctor considering um, you know low-dose naltrexone and considering all the lifestyle interventions that we talk about do those you know don't just go to this medication with um because don't just go to the suppressing medications because you know some of the side effects can be quite scary when we were in pharmacy school i just remember it was they just had started coming out during that time and we were like wow these medications are pretty intense and so when there are solutions that are safer that's what i always like to recommend for my clients and patients yeah i agree i think medications and surgery should be last resort after you've just tried everything with the exception of low dose naltrexone that's shown in studies to be very very effective at helping people with with autoimmune disease and it's a very low dose and so that that one i'm all for for sure Right, yeah, and it's, very, it's, a, it's a very safe type of medication. Most people are going to tolerate it just fine, and you're not going to run the risks of all these other things with, um, with some of those other, you know, um, biologics, as they're known. Yeah, very few side effects. Um, so why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you and learn more about you? So my website is um, thyroidpharmacist.com. They can check out um, my work there. I do have a gift for them if they go to thyroidpharmacist.com slash gift. Um, they're going to get um, my nutrient depletions and digestion chapter. They're going to get some great recipes as well as a gluten-free quick start guide. Oh, nice, nice. You have to check that out. <laughs> well, uh, Isabella, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. I know that's going to help so many people that are dealing with Hashimoto's and any kind of autoimmune health issues. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, thank you so, so much, much for having me, Wendy. And listeners, if you want to learn more about me, you can go to live2110.com. You can also go to my new website, mineralpower.com, and you can learn all about my version of paleo, modern paleo, and all about detoxification, my very favorite subject. Thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.